If you're a fan of classic movies or just like to hear people gabbing about them, then maybe you should listen to the 430 movie wherever you listen to podcasts brought to you by the producers of Inglorious Trexperts. Hey, if you're a Star Wars fan, check out the new Star Wars podcast, The Rebel and the Rogue, every Tuesday on the Electric Surge Network, wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're a fan of the 430 movie, you'll love Best Movies Never Made, hosted by myself, Josh Miller. And Steven Scarlatta. Where we explore some of the greatest movies never made, like E.T. 2. Johnny Quest. Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian. And Halloween 3D. New episodes available every other Monday, wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman, co-host of Inglorious Trexperts. If you're a Star Trek fan who thinks you know everything about the history of Star Trek, think again. Check out Ed Gross and my new best-selling two-volume oral history of Star Trek from St. Martin's Press, The 50-Year Mission. Available wherever books, digital, and audiobooks are sold. Welcome. This is Darren Doctorman. And this is Robert Meyer Burnett. And this week we are the Inglorious Trexperts. Well, that, that went well. <laughs> Welcome to another thrill-packed episode of the Inglorious Trexperts. Uh, this is going to be a, uh, a fun, another deep dive episode. Uh, we are basically uh, giving full props to Star Trek. See, that's I see a, what you that's did a there. horrible, horrible joke. We're going to talk about props and prop collecting and uh, prop enjoyment. And basically, uh, all that sort of the real toys of Star Trek. Um, of course, uh, in addition to Rob Burnett joining me today, we have the uh, multi-talented and uh, extremely knowledgeable uh, Rob Klein. Welcome. Why? Thank you, boys. Why? <laughs> thank you, Doctor. I, I'm I'm wonderful. Um, Rob, of course, is a uh, uh, an archivist and uh, historian and uh, all-around uh, uh, smart aleck about uh, oh, yeah. lots of things, uh, among them... You, start... have to, you have to put a, a little bit of humor in everything. To... Humor. It is a difficult concept. Yes. <laughs> it's not logical. Well, that's, that's, for, that's for sure. Um, so let's, let's... I was uh, making a little joke. Extremely little, Hanson. <laughs> We're... The, the wonderful thing about Star Trek is that um, most of the episodes had in it uh, wonderful toys to play with that the actors got, you know, a lot of good use out of. Where does he get those wonderful <laughs> toys? Well, uh, at the time, they got them from uh, Irving Feinberg, uh, who was the prop master on the original show. And we'll, you know, we'll talk about more than the original show on this, I yes. promise. Um, but we're going to start there. Uh, and just to let everybody know, the actual definition of a prop is something that the actors actually pick up and handle and use. If, if it's s still an interesting thing that is sitting on a shelf but no actors touch it, then it's called set dressing. And it's actually yes. a different department yes. than props. <laughs> Sometimes they overlap. You can't mix across the streams you, with set is, deck It's a and union props. thing. Yeah. And it's very interesting how that sort of breaks down. But, you know, there's a lot of crossover in how it works on a, on a movie set or a TV set. Yes. But uh, the people responsible for it are in the prop department. So 
uh, Rob, why don't you tell me about um, some of your, you know, your favorite props? Oh. <laughs> From Star Trek? Well, oh. I mean, this is the Inglorious Trexperts. Yeah, so yeah, let's talk let's stay know, let's, with Star let's Trek. Let's talk about Star Trek best, for now. Best mo- movie, movie prop, I say the best television movie prop of all time is the working Phaser 2 mm. prop. Now, controversially speaking, people say they're two, but do we ever, did we ever, has it ever been definitively proven that there were two working Phaser 2s? Do you guys know anything I, about that? I, I don't know about that. I, yeah. I know that the the one that I saw, which uh, uh, belonged to Greg Jean, belongs still, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah, you um, might have, you might know something that I hot you know, off the I press. don't know. He he owned it when I saw it. He still has it. And we should define that for our listeners, right? What is and what viewers. is Phaser Two? Yep. Explain okay, what so, a Phaser Two is, Rob. So Phaser Two is the sidearm. That we see in Star Trek. It's um, the gun-shaped phaser. Yes, the gun-shaped phaser. We see that, what, in, like, the second episode? or Because the first episode, they were no man. They were using the, the cage-style phaser. They were still using phaser. the cage phasers, yeah. So the phaser 2 is what we probably associate most with the uh, original Star Trek series as being the sidearm. And, of course, phaser 2 is composed of phaser 1, which is like the small handheld sort of remote control thingy. Right. It's the electric shaver shape. Exactly. And phaser. that plugs into phaser 2 to expand the power, et cetera, et cetera. I think there's an episode where they actually Spock goes into detail about it. Do we know the episode title? I'm sure we all do. I think... Uh, I think uh... Obsession is is one of them where right. they talk about the difference between Phaser One and Phaser right. Two. Phaser Two being more powerful because of the uh, added power pack that Not the handle. Not with Phaser One, but That's with right. Phaser Two. Right. Yeah. Um, maybe also in Devil in the Dark. Yes. I think that might have been the first time that it was actually mentioned. And then, of course, in Omega Glory is when we learned that right, you, we learned have the power have, you have to have extra... I want four extra power ten, packs. Ten phases with yeah. three extra power no, packs. No, no, four. And he ups right. it, remember? Train them. Yeah. Yeah. He recognizes he didn't re- initially request enough power packs right. to do what he needed to do. With three extra power packs each. Yeah. Which, by the way, was, was pretty revolutionary at the time. The idea of having... A weapon like this was 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 very cool because we have the Phaser One that, uh, of course, we all know is designed so you could go onto a you can conceal uh, la- it. You can conceal it be- for diplomatic reasons, right? And then, of course, the Phaser Two, uh, you know, it plugs into it. the The handle is the actual power pack, mm-hmm. and it does all these things. Uh, of course, they made one hero prop. Hero prop means it's the most detailed or the prop that could be used in a close-up right. shot. It's the most finely detailed. Yeah. It's the most finely finished. It has uh, moving parts, uh, perhaps lights, perhaps mm-hmm. uh, mechanical things. Um, and, of course, the Phaser 2 hero from Star Trek does all of those things, and that's what's so amazing about it. I mean, it's just unto itself the piece built was a work of beautifully engineered. Art. Yeah. The, the, the Phaser 2's design is genius, and then the way that it was built... By the artist Wa Chang, we we at least we think we know now he built the phaser. I, that is the that is the you know current knowledge. We know he did us. the tricorder and communicator. Well, he he designed the tricorder and the communicator, and he built those. Yes, and he provided them to the studio. Whether or not Wa Chang actually built the phaser is still fascinating is still not necessarily true. I love the fact that we have identified it is un. 
documented, unproven Star Trek well, territory. Because we haven't seen receipts yeah. from it. We have seen receipts for the tricorders, certainly. Right. And I think there's receipts for the communicators. But no um, ticket. But yeah. the the phaser was designed by Matt Jeffries and okay. drawn up by his brother, John. John Jeffries and Matt Jeffries. Correct. Yes. I never did get to meet John, but I did. did were you there the day never when Matt Jeffries came there? I was there when Matt the Jeffries Klingon? was there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, okay. I, I, I think I remember Matt. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, in depth about a bunch of things. But I also knew John Jeffries. Oh, wow. And uh, I got to interview him and other uh, Has he members. passed on as well? As, I know is, that Matt has passed, passed away. away. Okay. He's passed away That's as well. That's a shame. Um, God but, bless uh, both of them. But John Jeffries was a set designer on the original okay. series. Okay. And uh, w- otherwise known as a draftsman. Okay. He drew up he drew all up the, the wonderful things. Yeah. yeah. In, wow. And in addition to the sets and everything. So, Rob, you actually collect screen-use props and screen-use costumes. That has become, I think, my life's work. Basically, uh, I'll tell you, it's... I was in line at, at a Star Trek convention, and I heard people talking about the original props. And I kept, and it sounded like to me they were in private hands. And I just was like, "What do you mean? The studios have that stuff?" Right. And then, of course, learning that very often the studios do not keep that stuff, and it's like the stuff's kind of all out there. And I was like, "Okay, game on! I got to go track all this stuff down." And it, and it's not because I wanted to own it; I just wanted to see it, know where it was. Right. So in a lot of cases, no, it was okay. What's that? And and know it was okay. Yeah, it's it's trying to it's like orphans, right? Trying to put orf <laughs> kids back. Yeah, so it's like sometimes you find out where something is that you mean something to you, and it's in a great collection. Because certainly you back in it. the '60s, yeah, the product that the studios cared about was the shows or the film, the film itself, and all the other stuff that went into making it. Yeah, was worthless. It's like them. bullets out of a gun once it's yeah. been fired to the military. Yeah. It's just they refuse left they on didn't the battlefield, care. and they no. they got rid they of it. Still they don't threw care. it out. <laughs> uh, well, I think it's less so now because because they know that there's some intrinsic value in it. Because of the dollar sign Correct. attached. Oh, and what I, I always found interesting, like we have we have something here called Western Costume. Yes. Now, there were Western Costume was a giant repository that still exists of every conceivable costume you can have. A lot of the time they would go with guest stars or things mm-hmm. and they would find they would source different costumes sure. from Western costume yeah. that would appear on shows. And you can I've seen costumes, a lot of them are have been plundered now, but there were costumes in Western costume that were used in many different shows, not oh, just yeah. Star Trek mm-hmm. things. And they would have a little like a library card and it would show on the costume when it was checked out and what date it was used and who put it on and and uh, I recently that would be that would be great if th- there was more of that information. From my experience at Western Costumes, they didn't know what was going on, and 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 God bless them. But 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 I mean, I actually worked there a few times for people that had the green light to buy from Western, and you'd pull stuff off the floor, you'd be like, uh, "Wow, here's Mister Atos." But I would have been the only person mm-hmm. that would have been able to right. have recognized that just being a Star Trek fan. But to somebody else, they can come into Western costumes, and I'm making this up. But like, oh my God, there's a scoundrel! As a matter of fact, my wife's uh, aunt worked was a producer on a show, and their show had rented a dress for some sequence, and it just happened to be a Scarlet O'Hara dress from mm. Gone with the Wind. And they were, it wasn't because they recognized it previously. They were just like, is that the one from the garden party? And they're like, yeah. Mm. So Western didn't maintain. Nobody did. 
Right. Yeah. They, for them, it was just clothes that they rented. Yeah. Right. And then a lot of times, of course, that's how stuff never went back to Western because if somebody recognized it, it's like, well, I'm right. just going to keep this. Yeah. And they pay would pay the replacement yeah, fee. Pay yeah. Pay the replacement yeah. fee. And they didn't care until somebody pointed out. Right. That's you know a lot of money. But yeah, that didn't happen until way like well, in the it 90s. Didn't, it didn't happen until the videotape arrival when videotape could document these costumes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because before that time, people had to rely on their memory or yeah. stills. Well, the, the big, this is, uh, and of course, another discussion for another time, but just to touch on it, uh, the, the one of the big, big guys who saved Hollywood history collected film. Mm-hmm. So he would just run the films in his living room, but the, you right. know he's sixteen millimeter prints. So right. you can imagine how difficult that was. <laughs> now, it's not everything on is available to find on film when you're you know. So now the history of a lot of the you know the known existing Star Trek props is uh, is pretty uh, cloudy in terms of there are only a couple sources where they came from. Really sickly sweet like honey, sickly cloud. sweet odor like honey, um, and that most of them came from either Gene Roddenberry himself, uh-huh. who, who sort of uh, you know uh, procured them put, from the put set. All that crap Why don't in you a put, box put that in a box and bring that over to Majel? Yeah, um, uh, and you know uh, Majel had them. Yeah. Or uh, they came from the uh, uh, the archives of Irving Feinberg. One of the, and then of course Jim Rugg had stuff. Absolutely, the the uh, floor effects uh, man who worked on the original series. And, and now we know uh, Matt Jeffries had stuff. I mean, I should say, well, we know he had stuff. But I'm saying I found out some stuff since. The last time I was on here oh, concerning Matt Jeffries, I should probably... I have to always be careful when I tell these historic stories because somebody in them always gets their feelings hurt because for whatever reason. So I try not to use the names to right. protect the innocent right. here. But essentially, this is how the story goes. So stop me if I told this again. But I t- this the Love American style that I tell you that story? Uh, Does you, that ring a bell? You might have told me. I don't know if you told uh, it on uh, the show. Okay, I'll tell you on the show. So here we go. So basically, um, this woman who was one of the producers on Love American Style somehow was talking to somebody who knew about Star Trek. I, I think there's two sides of the story here. It might have been somebody who was heavily involved in Star Trek or an assistant from Star Trek was trying to find props. Well, because Love American Style was the show that Matt Jeffries right. worked on well, right after Star Trek. Essentially what it was, he gave two Phaser 2s to this producer of Love American Style because she was a Star Trek fan. Uh-huh. She had them all these years and just recently admitted to having them, pulled them out of a shoebox, and one went to auction and it got the record price wow. for a Phaser 2, which is well over 100000 wow. And this is a mid-grade Phaser 2, meaning mid-grade, meaning a fiberglass constructed Phaser 2, not Not a, working. Non-working, not like a, a vacuum form lightweight, not a vac- lightweight. You know, background. Yeah. Not the hero, but so a middle one. And actually, those are in, haven't really ever shown up. Mm. So you could say definitively that is from the show. So this is the first time. A lot of people say they have Phaser 2s. So a lot of people have bought Phaser 2s at prices that they should have been real for the price they paid. Mm-hmm. 
And since I'm not saying anything particular, there's a lot of people out there and they have fakes. Mm. They're not authentic. Now, I am not the leading expert to authenticate. Right. So I'm not saying that. I'm just simply, it is just known that this is one of the few phaser twos that's ever shown up where everybody's gone, okay, that's real. No, one, no one's disputing it. Right. So that's pretty interesting when you think 50 years plus and people are still scratching their heads with phaser twos, you know? So. Well, it's interesting because it's, I think it, it relates to uh, the previous episode that we did about toys is that I think one of the reasons why the Phaser 2 is so coveted and and uh, respected is because there was never a good version of it until yeah. only a few years <laughs> ago. And it's one of those things that for years people thought it looked different from that very contrasty picture in the making of Star Trek book yeah. where where a shadow coming from it led people to believe that the Phaser was a different shape than it actually Classic. was. Classic, yeah. And uh, there were a lot of, uh, well, a lot, at at least one or two uh, sort of phasers that were purported to be real that had that strange shape. Sure, and you're like, eh, you know, yeah. And immediately, you know, no, no, that's completely not it. (laughs) And it's only, you know, within the last 20 years that the, you know, the real phasers have have, uh, emerged and, uh, and we actually now have versions available to us to purchase that look exactly like the real ones did. Yeah, I mean, it's like when you open the communicator toy or whatever, it's just like you got to look at that moray pattern spinning. Mm -hmm. To me, that's just, you know, it's so 60s that like, you know, little little magical detailed graphic of the 60s iconic culture is actually inside the communicator. It's just... Bitchin. You know, with <laughs> modern Star Trek, since the advent of next, well, the movies and then next gen, they especially they started keeping everything because they were reusing stuff all the time. They were using sets, props, all kinds of things. Although that, after twenty five years, I don't think you can call next generation modern Star Trek. Okay, anymore. it's not modern. Okay, <laughs> yes, perhaps not. But in the modern era of Star Trek, and then of course Christie's famously had a monster yeah. auction in back mm-hmm. in the aughts. I don't know, was it two thousand six, two thousand something like that? Yeah, yeah. something like yeah. that. And they sold an enormous amount of material. Yeah, and I didn't know much about prop collecting. I because working in films, I always thought props were kind of you know they're props. They're not. Yeah, and that's why buying a master replicas phaser, I'd be like, oh, that's cool because it's right. like it's real as yeah. opposed to a it's, prop. It's actually in some ways perhaps nicer than the a prop. lot of ways. Yeah. Nicer. Right, <laughs> but I understand the appeal of having something screen used. And the Christie's yeah. auction flooded the market, so to speak, or created yeah. a market. Yeah, uh, there's always like Planet Hollywood would have real props, and there's always been yeah. people that have bought movie props and museums and things like that. But but then Star Trek prop collecting. Didn't it really take off? Yeah, because it seeded the market, and you had tons of people who hadn't been aware of it before that were like, wait a minute, you mean I could have a piece of Star Trek history? Right. Oh, my God. And, it, and I remember, I think I had mentioned this on the show, but one person had said to me, well, you should have sold your Star Trek stuff uh, now because it's all going to be flooded. And my initial a- attitude was, well... That's fine because just, you know, more for me to buy if it's yeah. cheaper. Yeah. But actually it did the opposite is it made all these collectors who are now are going like, 
okay, well, we saw what was in the auction. We saw what was offered after the auction. What else is out there? Yeah, what else is it? Well, where's everything else? Right. And then, you know, that stuff either doesn't exist or it's been in a collection like Greg Jean's since the 60s. <laughs> right. Yeah. And you were at that Christie's auction. Oh, I went, you? yeah, I, w- I was there. Um, that was fascinating because they had a lot of stuff misidentified. So that's when mm-hmm. I was focusing on, like, things that were like, this is a phase two uh, tunic, and I'd be like, and I'd be like, no, it's not. <laughs> it may have been altered, but it, it, yeah, it, it was. may have ended up right. in the phase two, but it was it it was a third season um, tunic or something like that. Um, but there's amazing things, set pieces, and um, you know, it's just it was great. The models were amazing to see, to see like the wow. Excelsior for the first time. That's true, yeah. and you know, they also sold off the uh, the motion picture Enterprise. It was sad, uh, but. To be fair, Jeff Bezos, you know, Bezos, Jeff Bezos, yeah. from Amazon bought it. Did yeah. he? Yeah, yes. he bought it. Oh, okay. And the actual Enterprise, that model, the is on display. Is on display in the Origin Blue Origin, his his rocket company's Whoa. headquarters is in the foyer. Yeah, yeah. The, the I lot, did not lobby. know that. That's fascinating because that thing went for like nothing. I mean, well, it, it, a it went hundred thousand. It went for under two hundred and fifty thousand. Yeah, yeah, which is unbelievable. Unbelievable. And then we could the have pulled D, our money, Darren. The yeah, D, the, D the D got went like, for double that. Yeah, which I was insulted with. No oh. offense to the fans. It's, D's fine, but um, yeah. Well, then of course Paul Allen bought the D. That he had on display okay. in the Experience Music Project at the Pop Culture Museum in Seattle. Yeah. I think he bought Deep Space Nine too. Uh, yeah, he's got one up there. That's a great museum, and he he loved Star Trek, and that's where the captain's chair is. The real the real right. deal, which and is amazing. Yes, the helmed console mm-hmm. and all that. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the mirror mirror vests, uh, and then a couple of oh, he's got a really nice third season Spock, which initially came from Greg Jean. Because hmm. Greg has like the best collection of third season, uh, unmessed with tunics, meaning you know, no, braid intact, uh, insignias intact. Right. Yeah. Do you think that they should have built a Star Trek museum and put all instead of auctioning the Christie's the Christie's auction and and put it all in one place? Oh man. Um, well, I'm I'm purposely per, per, uh, personally I'm glad they did it just to be able to get stuff, but. Um, Man, I heard some stories uh, that went from things that went behind the on behind the scenes, and it's just all I could tell you is it was just a mess. I mean, it was like it it just too disorganized. I heard after the fact, and I don't know if this gets anybody in any trouble, but working knowing a little bit with uh, knowing a little bit about Paramount Archives, and there were some politics involved here, but. They were told after the fact that you guys were entitled to get a percentage of the collection before it went to auction. And that would have meant that the archivist could have gone and maybe selected Mm. a certain percentage for Paramount Archive. But that somehow, whatever happened, that never happened. Mm. And, you know, the the horses left and then the barn door was... So anyway, so... The thing is, though, it's like in many cases, and this is not a criticism of the archives departments, but yeah, they might have something, but in many cases, no one ever really sees the stuff, really. I mean, Universal has a huge collection, and they have what's called a closed archive. You can't get into it. Even their employees really don't research the way that, say, you could at, like, the Walt Disney archive. The closest sort of equivalence that I would think is Warner Brothers. Yeah. Um, who on their lot they have a uh, more or less museum of artifacts that they have had throughout the years, and it's it's very well presented, 
But the problem is, they hardly have anyone there, and it's it's not it's not widely known. Right. Yeah. So they they're just using space that was on the studio lot, and so so access to that is extremely limited. Well, the has World to be, Tour is very successful. I mean, they're oh, not the a- numbers, absolutely. of course, that Universal does. Yeah, but they're a different thing. It's a different thing. It's a completely different it's thing. It's refreshing, by the way, in my opinion, what they do what compared I, to Universal. What I, my second job in the industry was I worked in feature production at Warner Brothers on the Warner lot. And in my off time, I used to just wander in and around places. And yeah. when, I, when I was there, this was 30 years ago, I was surprised at just stuff that I would find. Like the TV miniseries V. Oh yeah, they had full scale the shuttles, the oh, alien yeah. shuttles that would go and that they would that would battle in the in of the course. air. But the shuttles that would go to and from from Earth, <laughs> yeah, they they had those full scale shuttles just in the back lot. They right. were all along along the wash. Do yes. you remember that? Yeah. And they were like some were like on the landing gear and like that looks cool. And then some would be like that one's on its top and that one's cut in half. And it's yeah, like, they, yeah, they had all this stuff. And then the thing that I found that killed me was in the mill where they build all the flats. Yeah. They had the time machine from time after time. Oh yeah. It mm. was absolutely beautiful. It was just hanging. Yeah. The archive still has that. But, well, yeah. Oh, they, they at least somebody, last time I was there, somebody took it down and repainted it. Oh, that and happens. Put it in a sure. music video because these props right. nobody cares. They're no. not. They're not. It was the most one of the most beautiful things I ever saw, and I couldn't believe. I was like, shouldn't this be in a glass case yeah. somewhere? Well, the archives departments are only as good as the people in the archives departments are for two reasons. They have to have the knowledge to identify something and go, that's important important thing and then they have to have the budget to actually store it and maintain it and so many times there's been people in an archives department that goes okay let's preserve this let's save it then the next regime comes in and that's why you have the skiff and the snow speeder in florida that are out in the elements and Mm. i wonder if they're even around anymore because nobody has said like that's an important artifact and it belongs in the museum, get the snow speeder out of the elements, mm. you know. I mean, can you imagine what the, the snow speeder from Empire Strikes Back, full size in and out, would be worth that hit, that hit the market? I mean, R2-D2 with, a, with an original dome from Star Wars and bits and pieces on a recasted R2 shell went for two million bucks about a year ago at auction. Well, I mean, so the thing about- we're talking big money now. Yeah and, yeah, and I think with the, the Christie's auction, I mean, I have the hardcover. I had to get the hardcover auction catalog, the two-volume. Mm-hmm. And and looking at all that stuff, there is a power in it. You know, if you like something, and if there's something that means something to you, like the Reskin flute from Inner Light or something. That, right. And you, you, and I've been in a position because that of, went for a lot of money. By the way, did you hear? Did you hear about that? Yeah. <laughs> well, there's actually a wonderful clip of. Um, Patrick Stewart, and they say, you know, they say to him, like, oh, you know, your flute went for 40K, and he's, like, getting a little bit emotional. He goes, it doesn't even play, you know? And <laughs> I was like, I'm like, it's hysterical, you know? No, it didn't play. <laughs> yeah, but that's such a great episode, so of course it did. I mean, that's, that's, Star Trek fans are smart. So when you see a thing like that go for so much money, you're like, they get it, right? Because you have to be a real man to admit that that was an emotional episode, right? And that's coming from a loyal TOS fan. Right. See, Darren finds it very difficult to, to praise Next Generation, so no, I understand. No, I don't find it difficult to praise Next Generation. I'm just not, 
I'm just not in the camp that loves Inner Light because it has nothing to do with our characters on the show. Well, that's I mean, all. <laughs> but I mean, but anyway, so, so but but you can acknowledge <laughs> that the flute meant something to somebody. Of course, of course, and yeah. and they establish that in the character in later episodes, and that's fine. Right. I, I think. For those who love the next generation, that certainly is a an iconic prop for someone to have, right. and you know, pay forty thousand dollars. Like which, Odo's bucket, I would be really flabbergasted had it gone for huge money. I mean, that's just me, and no offense to Odo, but you know, I mean, it's just the flute I got. You know, well, like, okay, you know, I, I, yeah. I think Odo's bucket I didn't without it, Odo you know, in but, it. Uh, well, yeah. If it's an empty bucket, then, you know, what use is it? You, you have to have Odo with it, I think. What exactly would that be? Like some gelatinous ooze? Well, I, I, would, it, you know? I would expect, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I so, But why, what What props mean things to you? Like if you, what, what are some of, what are some of the great Star Trek props and costumes that you... Well, like. I have I have fewer uh, props, if for for that matter, because it's like I can't authenticate them. At first, I thought I thought I could, and then you know, decades go by, and I feel like the more I learn, the less I know. Mm-hmm. But I got lucky with a couple Star Trek hand props because they came from Gene Roddenberry initially, and were given to Alan Asherman, who wrote mm. the Compendium. Mm-hmm. So I had had at one time I had had a Phaser One, and I had the. Um, the belt box from by any other name oh. that, that lit up. Wow. The phaser one. Was it Rojans? What's that? Was it Rojans? It's probably all of theirs. You right. know what I mean? Yeah, right. yeah. There's t- definitely two that light up on, the, on, we know where both are. I have one. Greg Jean has the other. But the phaser one I got rid of because I couldn't authenticate it. And I, at the time, I, I, the, the, the belt box I knew was right just because you couldn't fake it. Right. The phaser one was a dummy, non-working one, and I was like 95% sure it might be right, but I didn't want to have that 5% come back and then right. you're out a lot of money. Even even that it did come from Gene Roddenberry because- I didn't know that at the cert- time. Oh, yeah. but, but even so, yeah, yeah. You know, a fan might have given that to Gene. You know, oh yeah, hundred percent. But it turned out, in, in hindsight, that was a hundred percent right, and mm. we actually think it is the one in the shot that the hobo blows himself ah, up with and sitting on the edge of forever. That's interesting. That's it. But you know, but I don't feel but but that's tough, but whatever. But I mean I I don't so I have the the box and I have like one of the Alice necklaces from mm-hmm. iMud. Or uh, right iMud yeah, the second I'm, one. I'm on. But other than that, uh, I've seen a lot of original stuff. But uh, it, but you know, once you sort of see something and you go like, I, I was offered their Morte and I knew it was right, but uh, I mean, it's always very expensive, and it would have I would have had to have given up something, and it was like oh, we're going to let Morte go to someone else. Right. But uh, but to me, I just like to see them. You yeah, know? I mean, the ones I ended up with just it worked out. But I mean, Greg Jean has the great Star Trek '60s hand prop collection. He's had it since the '70s. He's very generous with it. If you know, I've done a few articles and mm-hmm. needed to see a few things and he was wonderful about it and um, you know he's also lets other Star Trek fans see the stuff from time to time right uh, you know the you know have you, what have you guys seen from in person from the 60s show anything that comes to mind well I was working <laughs> in a in an environment where I was surrounded by a lot of original props for a long time okay and uh Khan's tunic, his his dinner tunic, which was found uh, at Western the gold, Costume. The gold tunic. Yes. The gold tunic. That was a great discovery. Yeah. That, yeah. Yes. So you have to, just because, 
you can you could acknowledge the discovery if we're going to do nothing mm-hmm. else there. Yeah, that yeah, was yeah. that was found by somebody. Well, I I can't say who it found. Yeah, but it was great to have it. I I was in a uh, BB Besh's uh, costume from Star Trek Two, mm. uh, Trelane's costume from Squire of Gothos. Wow, wow. I mean, uh, it, it was it was pretty incredible. Where the the person the that I was working jacket. with, yeah. Okay, because I know that you know, we, this is a big controversy, and I've said this before on the show, but there, I run into Star Trek collectors that have stuff, and just because they have stuff, we kind of establish, doesn't mean they know. But I've had people say, oh, they didn't make two Star Trek stuff, the budget was too low, and that is absolutely wrong info. Yeah, I have seen two of everything in most cases. I mean, I'm talking... Well, they have to, because yeah. on, on a set, that's standard practice. Yeah. You know, there, something in a, happens. Yeah, in a very, very rare circumstance, I would agree with some things. There's one of those, like Kronos's coat that, that Garth ends up re-wearing and whom, ah. that was a one-off. But but that thing was really elaborate. You know, there's three mirror-mirror sets for, for Kirk and Spock. But anyway, but... um, <clears throat> um yeah, so so uh, I just lost my train of thought where I was pulled together with what Rob was talking about with uh, help me here, Re- recapture it, pull it in, <laughs> you were, reel it in. You were, Damn it, who aren't you watching it? Don't wait for me. I'll, 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 I'll get it back, I'll get it back. Uh, we, we were talking about... Uh, you were talking about duplicates of things. Yes, yes. And, 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 and uh, Trelane's jacket. Oh, yes, thank you, brought me in. Do you remember when we were standing next to William Campbell? And he's like, "I have the Squire's pants." Yes. Yeah. Yes. So we know there had to be two pairs, and then of course later the pants were the jacket. And William yeah. Campbell had the jacket yeah. too. He, he did said have he the did. jacket. He said he oh, did. Oh, I, I don't remember when that. when we interviewed him on Talk Trek back in the nineties. Okay. He said, "I have the the Squire's jacket." Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> see, he never said the jacket to me. He just said uh. he had the pants. And I was thinking, like, not a lot of opportunities to wear like Kermit the Frog green trousers, right. you know. Right. No, there's a lot of. I mean, I've seen a lot of. I was afforded an opportunity to see a lot of great costumes and and props, and because I was dealing with somebody who had prop auctions and yeah. collected props himself, and we all know what he did. There, there, there was. Um, there's some power. Uh, iconic power when you're in the presence of these things. They have an energy. They 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 do. They uh, really uh, do. They do. And I, you know, I remember when I was working with Roger Lay, we were doing the Enterprise documentaries for the Blu-ray, and we went we went up into Central California. I think we went to Fresno, and we went to a collector who collected a lot of of, of Next Generation and Enterprise and, and props, and he had one of the shuttle pods. Can you the, say his name? I don't remember his name, okay. but he appears on the documentary. Uh, okay, I think an Enterprise. He has one of the shuttle pods from Enterprise. He has one of the shuttle right. pods from Enterprise, and he had a wonderful collection of props. Was this? Did he have a beard like a ZZ Top beard? No. Okay, because one of the guys that kind of has that kind of description is German collector, and he has one of the po- the shuttle pods. Yeah, I know now. there was two. Yeah, there was two. This one was. In, I have a picture of myself coming out of it. Well, they were neat because <laughs> I helped the Germany collector get his. So, yeah, yeah. It, it was amazing, and he had he had so many interesting. He had like datas box of medals from Measure of a Man and And that probably all right from the auction. Yeah. 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 And it was all great, great stuff. He had it, it it was just and he had it well displayed and it was so nice to see all of these things together. Well, you know, not everything got saved and this I mean it's it's just hilarious because these are the stories that happened, but I got to go to the warehouse when they were cleaning it in towards the very end and there was they were taking a bowling ball and all the molds and were just like rolling the bowling ball and 
you know, the, all wow. the plaster molds. I found Data's. And I was like, Data's head molds. I'm like, mm-hmm. no, no, I have to buy this. And they were like, fine. Wow. You know, uh, but but I'm not really a mold collector or whatever, but, you know, Spores, data. molds, and fungus. <laughs> Someone blows their nose and you want to keep it. What uh, What is your favorite thing that you own? Um, God, it's too hard to, to, to narrow it down to one. The Superman collection for me, but that's not on topic because Superman stuff filmed in the U.K., Chris Reeve Superman so I, that stuff is very hard one mm-hmm. uh, Star Trek th- though it's a whole collection because and I don't know if I've ever really talked to you about this Rob but I found where the 60s wardrobe was was sold off by Paramount and where it went to so I was instrumental of finding out where it went to and then identifying it uh, you know unidentified in amongst bajillion kind of a western costumes environment so I kept a small percentage of what I was able to find just because I was young and I think taken advantage of, you know, <laughs> at the time, you know, I mean, these days it's like uh, if, you know, people come and they say, hey, you know where stuff is. And it's like, you know, well, I've got money to back you. And it's like they value the, the knowledge almost as much or if not more than the investment of cash right, right. back then it was like knowledge ah you know kid you stupid kid you're like you right. know so you know i didn't get to to maintain uh, uh, as much stuff as i would have liked so a lot of stuff had to go wasn't offered to me well a few years ago I but think you do it, have some stuff though yes yes and i'm very proud of it and because to me it's like if i look at my romulan that kirk is wearing you know kirk's from uh, enterprise incident I go, I pulled that off the third tier. Wait, you have that yeah, costume? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I found all the Romulans. And, of course, part of my deal was with the investor, it's like I have to at least be able to get one example of something. Whereas these days it would have been like I get half, you know, but that's – anyway. Right. So the the Romulan I picked, I just was – I was like this is Kirk's I could because I could just tell. It didn't – was not written Kirk, mm-hmm. but I was able to match it up with this, the stitching flaws and mm. stuff see, like that. See, that's one of the coolest – and they made an action figure of that character. But see, <laughs> and I kept that because that just means so much to me. You know what I mean? So the fact that I pulled it off the rack and, and you know, and I put the costume together because – the other thing with Star Trek is is it's it's not as easy as a lot of other shows where it's like you get to you know you archive it's got the wardrobe tag still attached to it you know Brad Pitt Once Upon a Time and all it's all right. there on the bag. Star Trek is you got to ID it and then in many times the names of the actors aren't in there. Right. So you literally now with Blu-ray that's why everybody is going back and going this Spock is from these two episodes. It's right. incredible. Right. A lot of times people people have surpassed me in the fact where they're they're narrowing it down. Mm-hmm. Whereas with with me I'm just like oh I know it's original from the production. So you don't know what episode? I was like right. well no I haven't really researched that yet. But now, uh, one of the other interesting things that I that I have gotten into mostly because it's cheaper is sourcing the found objects awesome yeah um <laughs> which are which were mass produced objects that they used on the show as yeah. other things that's a big deal i have a couple of those salt shakers that mccoy has in his uh, in his kit yeah and uh, i have the pencil box that they used to make the communicator um yeah. i have uh, a, a lot of the bottles from uh, Saurian brandy. I, yeah. I have a I have a a Dickel Saurian brandy bottle and other bottles from Let That Be Your Last Battlefield. Yeah. I have one of the Cluck Cluck bottles 
uh, which are, you That's know, great. which were, you know, relatively mass manufactured. Yeah. But they're exactly what was used. Yeah. And, and the thing is about that stuff is they actually cause trouble for the actual screen right. use props because in many cases, like people they're say, identical. A, people go, I have a genie bottle. I'm just like, yeah. you know, it's just, yeah, it's no, all, you don't. But yeah, exactly. Yeah. Sorry. But you have one no, you just don't. like it. You have one just like it. So in the case for the collector, you get the found item and you have the item. You need sort to have, of. yeah. Yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But for the for the screen used, you have to have provenance of where it came from. I don't care and who had it. You right. You have to have a a chain of of ownership. Unless Sherwood Schwartz and his son or the castaways show up with that radio, I right. don't believe anybody. Right. You know, you know what I mean? Because <laughs> it's just that's another one of those things yeah. that I got was one of those. Uh, yeah. Pack, the Packard Bell radios. Yeah. You and even if somebody really shows up with it, you're like. Right. How do we know? Yeah, exactly. You know? How do you know? I With, mean, I know you, you, you. Like, if you're going to buy a prop, yeah, and somebody authenticates it or say, yeah. says, that's the question. How do they authenticate? Yeah, how do it you authenticate proof? a prop like that? Well, it, it, it's it's case by case basis. It also depends on the on the on the show. For example, uh, I've met crew members on Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, and they'll pull out like a ticket, or they'll pull out a, mm-hmm. a, a a Wonka bar, and you just cannot fake them. I mean, it's the the paper, the printing, the way they look. Mm-hmm. Of course, if somebody's connected with the show, but there's enough of them around where you go, okay, this guy's connected with the show, and it looks exactly like all the other ones, which is basically really crappy. You know what right. I mean? And it's like, but even you know, people could fake crappy. Right. But you can you can tell when it comes to something, say like a Star Trek tunic from the TV show. You just you cannot fake it. it uh, you know, right. Novos has done nice with their wardrobe, but it's still you could tell. Right. That's why props are so difficult because people you know can make a phaser two literally to where it's like, oh man, I can't tell the difference. Right. And and that's why it's sort of ruined. The Star Trek market, in a way, because there's a lot of collectors out there with deep pockets that just literally go, "I that love have more Star money Trek." Money than sense. Well, no, there's, uh, and it works both ways. Some right. of them out there love Star Trek, and they could afford to pay anything else, but they literally go, "How do we know?" Right. They literally say, "How can you?" I, I can't. I I can't. I can do it. Right. Can you do it? I can't. <laughs> well, I think some yeah. things, like if I could, if I could collect anything, and I don't collect props, but if I could buy them, I'd want models. Yeah. Like I'd want yes. that refit model, right? And oh, at two hundred fifty thousand dollars, that was a steal. It really Absolutely. was. That was a steal. Yeah, Absolutely. yeah. And it's a whole different game now because when the Marilyn Monroe seven year itch dress went for six million, mm-hmm. that was literally we were talking like maybe a million bucks for the ruby slippers before then. But you know, come on. And then all of a sudden to have the Mar- the Debbie Reynolds auction and that dress go for six million, that just made it like okay now. Costumes and props have the potential of going into the serious, into the serious, fine art realm, into the into the numbers are people getting. Unfortunately, it's just that you know that I, that arguably is more iconic than the Phaser Two, so it hasn't really caught up there, you know, well, yet. More iconic with what audience, though? Right, that's right. the question. Exactly, exactly. But you know, because it's probably not in people in our generation. It's probably not more iconic to people in our generation. Well, there's a great question. What is the the most iconic thing? And let's say you take our 60s, 70s, and 80s films, mm-hmm. and then 60s, 70s, and 80s television. What is the most iconic thing you think? If you, what can you even narrow it down to one thing? Um, well, I, I would I would say that the the Batmobile. 
I, that's a great. That's a great. The, the original, great, which went for sixty four million when it finally $4 sold. Million. Yeah, which is cheap. Cheap, but at least at the time. But at least it was no two hundred k for right. the enterprise. Right. You right. know. But I also think I wonder, like, like if you had the original Knight Rider car. Okay. <laughs> is Knight Rider as cool as the Batmobile? To some people, it is. It, I, I, to I younger guess, people, I guess it, it, is. it might be. Like, I I wonder all of these props. Like, again, we did our episode about toys. Yeah. And I think that I wonder if prop, our kids or people growing up, obviously we grew up loving something. If something becomes iconic, Indiana Jones's whip. Right. Yeah. You know, which I know yeah. is out there in the world. Oh, there's and several of them. Several out there, or or a, maybe a, a Walther PPK that James Bond used in whatever mm-hmm. movie, or the Aston Martin DB5 or yeah. something. Yeah, that's a huge, iconic thing. A it huge, has a iconic fascinating thing. history, too, by the way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I don't know if you've researched that. That's a whole other show. Yeah, uh, yeah. There's, a, there's a lot of... I, I just don't know if we live in a world anymore where... Even in the last 25 years, if there's something that's that iconic. Well, I could tell you one thing is when you have a great movie and then it speaks to another generation or two generations, then, of course, the piece or the film has a better chance of maintaining itself for another few more generations. Mm-hmm. Sure. That's, I know that's partly why Wizard of Oz uh, has such long lasting. Because it's always on television, 80, right? 80 years, yeah. I, I know. Well, there's two two kind of comments to that. It's like... Having done a lot with the Back to the Future franchise, I know the 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 DeLorean speaks to a multi generational mm. amount of oh, people. Oh yeah, for sure. Whereas I think the Barris Batmobile is the coolest car ever designed on Earth. But I heard a collector recently, uh, might who has Batman sixty stuff, wants to sell it because he's starting to go, uh oh. You know, maybe it's time to sell 60s Batman. Are the younger kids going to want that? Are they going to want the Chris Nolan Batman? You know what I mean? Right. And that, I mean, I... That that sort of goes to why is someone collecting? Right. You know, are they they collecting as an investment? Yeah. Which I think is sort of valid, but it's it's a little misleading. It is, and then you you compare the seven-year itch dress to say... You know, uh, to a kid that you know is digging the DeLorean, he's not going to know what the seven-year itch dress yeah, is. So no. it's weird. You know, it depends on well, your. Yeah, I mean, like the bride's game of death costume from Kill Bill, right. Kill Bill One that Uma Thurman's wearing when the she yellow? fights. The yeah. yellow, the crazy yeah. 88 costume. Yeah. I mean, that's something people could look at and go, it has to be what you can immediately recognize. Yeah, that's pretty great. You know, like yeah. I think that, that today, I've always said that pop culture has about a 20-year shelf life, and then it starts to drift away. Sure. You know, as we grow up, unless... Yeah, the Smithsonian, we put Archie Bunker's chair away, and it's like, with all due respect, I mean, we all grew up, I'm sure, with all the family... Who freaking cares? I mean, to the younger kid, what? Yeah, they don't know what that is. They don't know what Fonzie is. Fonzie's jacket, right. that's there too. But the Enterprise, right? I don't care if you watch the 60s show or not. If you ask those three kids what they recognize, I would hope to think at least they can identify, okay, that's the Enterprise or Star Trek or mm-hmm. Star Wars. You know what I mean? Right. Well, what's right. sort of sad, like I would think that the things that would be really iconic would be Marvel's costumes. Yeah. And a lot of like the Iron Man costume is CG. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you know, they're they're it Captain exist. America's shield, maybe. Yeah. His broken shield from Endgame sure. or something like that. I mean, I know that those pieces are sought after and sure. things like that. Well, but... Marvel's smart because they actually have auctioned their stuff off. Mm-hmm. And uh, I worked a little bit with uh, when the Marvel exhibit went up to the um, the Mopop, 
And, you know, they have Iron Man suits that are fully realized that they say are original. I'm not like an expert like we right. are when Star Trek. This scene, it was this, you know, first right. Marvel. But they have head-to-toe suits and In they the look great. In the first movie, they did have a <laughs> yeah, head-to-toe yeah. suit. Okay. Yeah. 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 As they moved, as they've gone through the ten years, or now eleven but, years. But they're brilliant because they have all these props that are potentially rotting, and they're going, "Why are we going to keep them and have them right. some the fans?" You know. Right. Whereas you got like certain companies, like Peter Jackson, he's keeping all the Lord of the Rings stuff. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's, you know, what, you know, what are you going to do with those Urkais? Those can't be in good shape by now, and he's got like probably you know a million of them, right? I, so I, it just I would depends think. on the franchise. It's it's very interesting because of the of the nature of consumed media now. Um, we can have uh, older older material, older shows and movies on an equal footing with modern uh, productions as well. Uh, and all the streaming systems, it doesn't have it doesn't have Star Trek in a bin off to the side. Mm-mm. It's it stands equal with everything else that they have, and I think that is a that is something that uh, will help make that a living thing for later generations, uh, depending on when they're exposed to it. Um, but I, I think that I think that the more uh, these companies, you know, specifically like Peter Jackson, if he's hoarding this stuff, mm-hmm. I think right now we have sort of a, a the younger generation doesn't even know about the Lord of the Rings movies. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I mean they their uh, their go to maybe Harry Potter. You know, Harry or, Potter. That's got to be. There's got to be props. I mean, I, I think I'd love to have a, the Iron Throne from Game of Thrones. Oh right, right. You know, I'd, I, and I know they're going to do a Game of Thrones auction at some point. Oh, I'm sure they are. Doing would, yeah, it. but but like you, you like you said, I mean having Harry Potter stuff or the Lord of the Rings. They they did, I went, when I was working on Chronicles of Narnia, they had a big, at the local uh, museum in Wellington, they had a great Lord of the Rings oh, mm-hmm. that Peter Jackson obviously donated all this stuff. But I'm right. sure one day they'll build. What did you do on Chronicles of Narnia? All the behind the scenes stuff. Okay, okay. Online, I, I lost wardrobe. at least one or two years off my lifespan working with Walden Media and all the Chronicles assets. So I know that stuff really well, and I just remember, like, I learned so much about Weta working oh. on that. Mm-hmm. I had friends of mine that were paying, like, 30 40 k for Lord of the Rings sword, okay? Like, Gandalf sword. And, you know, I think they've gone up since, and I used to tell them, like, you know Peter Jackson has, like, a, you know, 150 of those. And they are like, how do you know? I said... Prince Caspian, okay, <laughs> has a sword that I know. There were like five heroes, five dueling Prince Caspians, and then like, you know, 25 rubber ones. And he doesn't even really do anything with, with the it. sword in right. the movie. And there's like 34 swords or something. I'm like, now look at Aragorn. He's using that every day of film. I'm like, there has to be like 900 of his swords. <laughs> now, hopefully, he'll never release them all. Right. You know, and that's the exact reason why Stormtrooper suits are so much. It's like, because they're all up with George Lucas. Right. But there's like boxes of them up there. I mean, that's the best thing ever. It's like I asked the archives one day. I said, they had a C3PO, and I said, what's that C3PO suit from? And they go, oh, that's from Star Wars. I said, oh, the 77 suit. They said, no, 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 the Star Wars movies. I'm like, okay. I know he's from the Star Wars movies. You know, <laughs> I said, what movie Which is the one? suit? Yeah. And then they go, well, every time we open a box up here, there's a part from C3PO. Wow. So it was literally like, you know, and then 
how many I don't know how many suits there were, but there was certainly but the only a lot. person that would or people that would care about that would be prop collectors yeah, who were yeah. collecting original props. And I know that having a, a little bit of an experience with with people that collected Star Trek props, yeah, it's a pretty insane bunch of bunch of folks. Well, they're very passionate, and the biggest problem I think that people have is that when they meet people that are not getting rid of their stuff, that the well, the ones that are take the attitude like. I just want to see it. It's in a good home. I'm lucky to have been able to hear the story. They do well. The ones that literally, you know, must be, you know, it's like the must Highlander thing. Right. There can be only one. One <laughs> like everything. They get really. They bring a lot of um, negative energy. Yeah, they, they make they, they make their life harder than it should be. <laughs> you know, because um, that I've seen collectors show up at the Star Trek auction. And they literally have this attitude like, I'm going to buy everything. And and then they get to the point where you're like, you do know that everything is not possible because there's this guy over here and there's this guy over here been doing this for like 50 years. Right. And they like their stuff too. Right. It's very funny to watch. Well, it, it's interesting. I, I remember seeing the um, at the uh, World Science Fiction Convention in, what was it, 2008 or 2000? Probably 2008. Um, and Greg brought out a, a lot of his yes. Star Trek props and put them on display yes. in a display case. And seeing all of this stuff together uh, at once was pretty overwhelming. It was magic, yeah. He brought out the wraparound tunic for the first time from the first season. Yeah, yeah. It's awesome. Did you ever... Yeah, you, I've seen you, it. I know you would love that. Oh, you know? yeah? Yeah. And it's like, you know, it's one of those things where you always heard he had it. And, you know, Greg, do you have it? Yeah. And I'm like, oh, okay. And then, you know, eventually get to see it. And you're like, that's that's it. You know, I mean, just perfect. You know, no, you know, it's Greg's Greg saved the Star Trek stuff. I And I, I remember seeing a lot of stuff that I didn't even remember from the show. I mean, I think he had a couple of those uh, sort of colored blocks that you would sometimes see next to oh. Scotty working with, like, with, the with numbers inside. on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, th- there's one like you know red box with a switch on it that Classic. they put on something. I-, I have no idea. Yeah. I don't recall anywhere where it was. He's but got there it the is. Elevator handle from the '60s show. Oh, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know. <laughs> He's all, that's all Jim Rugg stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, that was the Jim Rugg collection, um, and you know he got it all, and it's great. He's kept it, he's maintained it as a collection. Right. I think this stuff does better when they are in collections. These Absolutely. people that like, I have ten of these, and I'm going to sell all ten. It's like I keep them together. Keep you them can't, together. They're they're you know. more worth it. Yeah. What do you think? What makes the most desirable prop? to collect or costume what 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 is the thing that makes them the most i mean we talked about uh, certainly their iconic status yeah but with star trek is it just something that means something to you personally as a collector Uh, for me yes because i have stuff that's not like at one particular when the tice auction happened in the 90s you guys remember about that Mm -hmm. the guest stars were going for like you know four to eight thousand dollars and this is like 93 94 nowadays there's such a plethora of Star Trek on the market. Most people don't even get into the guest stars and that kind of thing anymore. They just want Star Trek uniforms, you know? Mm. So for me, I have stuff in my collection that uh, is never going to get the money that I feel it's worth to me 
on an emotional level, like if you pulled out, like, well, I'll give you an example. I had the Leslie Parrish pink toga, which I found, Ooh. and it sold for 8000 at the Tice auction, and I found the number two in the, the, the place that bought all the Trek stuff, and I got in a position where I had to raise some money or do a trade or something, and I remember it went up for auction and it only got like 6000 so it got 2000 less where decades have gone by and you would have hoped it would have appreciated right. but actually the star trek stuff in some cases has not gone up now kirk and spock tunics are over 100k now right you know but then you have a mccoy and i've seen mccoys show up and they wouldn't even get their opening bid when people are trying to get 30 or 40000 wow that's but to interesting. me I, there's no emotional difference between Kirk, Spock, or McCoy. It's like, hey, give me any of them. Mm. But unfortunately, the McCoys and the checkoffs, and they don't go for as much. But emotionally, I know, speaking with us, we would be more like, I don't care about the, the value. It's, a, it's about the emotional right. value. Right. And in Star Trek stuff, things do go higher because of that. Thus, case in point, the flute. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, if like if you had that Leslie Parrish toga, yeah, you'd have to get the Michael Forrest toga to go with Which it is to out put on there, display. But long, who knows? It went away. Right, yeah, right, yeah, and right. you, yeah, exactly. And then it gets yeah, and then you're like, well, now I got to recreate the Apollo thing, and it's like, <laughs> but you know, and where it's do I thrown, start? Yeah. yeah. Well, it's it's so it's so much fun to sort of uh, trace history and take it back to uh, these things that we first saw when we were young and to see them to see them as an adult uh, it, it, as i was talking before it sort of takes you immediately back to who you were then yes yeah um i want to thank both of you for joining me on this episode um why thank you doctor it's a lot of, it's always a lot of fun talking with you rob klein and of course uh joining me robert meyer burnett Thank you. On loan from the Burr Network. I... <laughs> um, and thank you all for joining us here on Inglorious Trexperts. If you're a fan of the podcast, you may want to check out Electric Surge's other podcasts, like the 430 Movie, every Friday in which a group of writers and producers curate fantasy theme weeks of classic movies, and The Rebel and the Rogue, a Star Wars podcast, every Tuesday, and Best Movies Never Made, every other Monday. And, of course, if you enjoyed this podcast, please rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts. If you didn't, please don't. Uh, and you can follow us at Inglorious Trek on Twitter or at Inglorious Trexperts on Instagram. And join us at www.ingloriousTrexperts.com to pick up lovely IG swag as we call it in the biz. Also, a very special thanks to Bill Ritter and everyone here at Electric Surge Network. Of course, producer Natalie Mescali. And of course, Dean Devlin, without whom this show would be very dark and quiet. So, until next time, keep on trekking. Ingloriously, of course. Shh. Engage. This show is produced by Dean Devlin and Mark A. Altman and is an Electric Surge Network production.